This is Jeremy from Wild Talk, and you're listening to MASHcast on Mash Those Buttons. To episode 166 of the Mash Those Buttons Mashcast. I'm Jarrett, and I am here with the Scourge of Iron Forge and Games Industry Public Defender, Nick Zelenkevich. Hey, how's everybody doing? Yes, and uh, sorry about last week. We did not mean to skip an episode. We uh, had some trouble with scheduling, and it, it just didn't work out. So, very sorry about that. But now we are back on track to at least the end of the year, I think. I think we can manage that. Which right means we'll probably won't have one next week. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you, you, you guys know how it goes. Uh, but Nick, how, how's how's your week? What's going on? Uh, it's been going well. Uh, yeah, it's been going well. Oh, that's about it. No, uh, you haven't been playing anything. Oh, um, I didn't realize we were talking about that. Is is, oh, is uh, it's not the end of the month, is it? Well, no. I'm just like in general. Like, what the fuck? Have you been Have you been playing like Warcraft, Overwatch? You know. No, I'm I'm actually not in the Overwatch beta, um, and it's one of those things where, personally, I I mean you know I I'd, I'd like to be in there, but like really I only want to be in there just for the status to feel like Blizzard loves me and that like they 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 bestow their gifts upon me, and instead I feel shunned and scorned. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I'm not missing much by not being in there. Um, I've actually been playing Heroes of the Storm lately. Finally getting into that. I, I downloaded it and I started playing it because I wanted to check out Cho'Gal. Still don't, haven't actually played Cho'Gal. Still too nervous to actually play with somebody else. But uh, apparently I like ETC. I think that's my hero. Wow. You know, I, I reinstalled Heroes of the Storm and I had to go through the tutorial again. Like, it made me go through the tutorial. I didn't mm-hmm. realize they were making you do that. But as soon as I got done with that, I went and, like, I, I had to hop out for a second, and then I noticed that Overwatch did an update. I was like, I don't have Overwatch. Well, apparently I do now. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. I was I was ready to get back into Heroes of the Storm, and then that got stunted by me getting into Overwatch. Nice. Which I have actually been having a pretty good time for a beta. The game is very balanced, and I think the, the funny thing that I'm seeing in the Overwatch feedback forums are people complaining about things that belong in a first-person shooter. Like, people are complaining that Widowmaker, who is probably your basic sniper, every other, almost every other character in the game has, I wouldn't say gimmicks, but they have these mechanics, you know, that make them unique. Widowmaker is a, pretty much a straight-up sniper. Her shots have to charge for a little bit, and her ultimate allows you to see through walls. It's basically a wall hack. You can see enemies through walls. But, um, yeah, people are complaining, like, well, Widowmaker shouldn't be able to one-shot headshot me and kill me. Like, I can't even see her when she kills me sometimes. And I'm just like, dude, 
She's a fucking sniper. Yeah, that's how, that's what they do. That's what they do, and people are complaining about it. One guy made this super long post about how Widowmaker shouldn't do that much damage initially, but her shot should have some type of effect or dot or something like that. Basically turned into a support character. I'm like, why would anybody play her at that point? You can you can play her as a support character now by like snipping enemies and taking their health down while somebody else is fighting them. That's a huge help. That's a huge support if you want to play as a support. So wait, now I'm confused because so his argument is that she, instead of do, do, being a sniper and doing all the damage at once, so essentially killing you in one shot, she does enough damage and then puts a dot on you that will kill you over the next few seconds. But at least it's not instant. I like, guess that's so. his argument. I guess so. A lot of the people in those forums do not play shooters. They don't. You know? They they call people some people call, oh, she's boring to play. Like, dude, she's a fucking sniper. People what? who like playing snipers will play that character. That's fine that she's boring to play. Like, that's why there's other characters. Like, every, you know, that's why there's different play styles. Yes, exactly. This is why we need an Overwatch podcast. I need to help these people. I can save these people. <laughs> you <there. can't>, <laughs> you, if, if they can't see that the sniper should exist as a character in its own right, they're beyond help. No, I can save them. No. I can, I can save these people. I can I'm help the them. public defender. I know who can be saved. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man. We get it's, it's it's just funny watching them talk. Like people complain about Soldier Seventy Six because he is a generic first-person shooter character. What's the he, complaint? That he's boring to play. But that's the point. Yeah, he's like, there for people that want a generic first-person shooter character. He is the character you do the tutorial with. Yeah, too. yeah. Like that, I mean, that's 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 basically it. Yeah, he's the yeah. baseline, and then everybody goes from there. Yeah, that that that's how. Yeah, yeah. Then you have, you know, if you want to play a bit something a bit more advanced, you go with, like, Tracer, where she can warp around the map. She can also go back in time, which I was very curious as to how that mechanic worked. Like, basically, you hit E, and she could, she warps back to where she was about five seconds ago with the same health and the same ammo. So That's as long how. as she, so as long, I guess as long as you get it off before she actually dies, you can go back to five seconds before she died, basically. Exactly. That's pretty cool. You can do it. So basically, you have to, like, when, you know, when I'm fighting somebody and I see him do that warp, I just look back to where they were five seconds ago. Some people had trouble with that. I don't. I no. remember where you were five seconds ago. Well, that's that's <laughs> one of the complaints that I've heard is that the way Blizzard's been marketing the game, Tracer is very much like the face of Overwatch. Well, yeah. And people are going to be like, oh, look, there's this British chick. Let me play her. She's all over the place. She's one of the toughest characters to actually play. And so there's a bit of a disconnect there that. People are going to come in thinking, like, oh, yeah, let me play Tracer, and then not, like, that's the worst way to learn how to play the game, because, like, you need, like, that's the whole point of Soldier 76, is, like, you know, here's how, you know, you know how to you play an FPS, you know, get integrated into the game, figure everything out, and then work the mechanics from there, so. Yeah, tr- Tracer, yeah there have been complaints about that. Tracer is tough, but, I mean, you don't just straight up drop the game, like, I can't play the character that's on the box, I guess I don't want to play. That's when you can probably go <laughs> you back. You don't, because you understand FPSs. But <laughs> if you're sitting there whining that you're getting one-shotted by a sniper, then yeah, if you can't figure out how to hit V and go back five seconds, you might just give up and quit. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Actually, I think they need to put, like, in MOBAs, they have a difficulty next to the character. Yes. They need to put difficulties next to the characters. But that's also subjective. Because, I mean, Tracer's, to me, she's not a difficult character. 
it's just you gotta keep certain things in mind like she can't take a lot of hits she can't take a lot of damage and when you're taking damage don't panic hit e go back in time and disorder your goal is to disorient your enemy yeah like i was playing with my friend yesterday and me we did a really dick move by the way we went triple trace tracer okay we went okay. triple tracer on attack that's a really dick move because we're all over the place. Okay. Okay, we're we're all over the place. We're on the capture point. Me and my other friend get hit by a super. Okay, by by somebody's ultimate. And we die. So my other friend is sitting there with a tank. Like he oh, he's Tracer too, but he's fighting a tank. There's no way Tracer can do enough damage to his tank by herself to kill it. Okay. So he's basically sitting there warping around so the tank can't hit her. No, wait, does it work to like well no no never mind, never mind. I was gonna, I was gonna like does the time travel work like super time force? But no, that wouldn't make sense because you're not actually going back five seconds. Right, exactly. But yeah, it's not like you get you can like have multiple tracers that are you all firing at the same time. Like time still moves forward, you just go back where you were five seconds, so never mind. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So, like, yeah, he's sitting there, he's like, You guys need to come back, you need to come back. <laughs> I just see his icon zipping around that area <laughs> <laughs> waiting for us to come back and we come back and we surround the guy and we kill him but that's, that's awesome because all he has to do he like he knows he can't beat the tank all he has to do is just keep the tank busy and stay alive until you guys get there yeah he had to wait for the cavalry the cavalry had to get there yeah we had to we had to we had to gun this thing down on all sides to take it down did, did tracer say that though when she showed up cavalry's here no oh <laughs> Yeah, but I like it. I like it way more than I thought I was. I think for a beta is very, very balanced. Yes. Uh, and I mean, there's definitely some tweaks. Like I think Widowmaker, and somebody was surprised that I said this. Widowmaker right now to charge a shot takes two seconds. I think it should take a minimum of three to five seconds. Why do you want to nerf snipers? I don't want to. Well, well, I play the sniper. She's my main. <laughs> She's my main. I want. I would say a minimum of three of three to five seconds, and that's going to stop spamming of sniper shots. A lot of people complain people sni- about spam snipers. I'm like, just you know, change the charge time. Because if you if you don't have a fully charged shot and you get a headshot, it's not going to kill them. So isn't that basically the same, like a, a, a damage nerf, like the other guy kind of said they should, or they they actually did rather? Well, that's the, the way the character plays already. If it, if, if the shot's not are is not fully charged, you're not going to get a headshot. So you're saying leave the damage the same, but just increase the charge time so that it's it's harder to get off a fully charged shot. Exactly, yeah. Like, you choose your shots wise more wisely. You just want to up that skill cap, that minimum skill required, so it's like you're the only person that can play Widowmaker effectively. Yes. Actually, <laughs> you got me. I'm not going to fucking like, lie about it either. Like, I, I would like less people to play Widowmaker, because when I'm trying to like actually beam down on other characters, and somebody has like a shitty Widowmaker, she's basically shooting around me. I have to acknowledge her just in case she hits me, but it's annoying. <laughs> you know, it, it is annoying. I'm like, oh, I got to turn my gun. I got to shoot them. Then I got to go back to what I'm doing. As opposed to having somebody who I actually have, I have to have like a sniper war with. I love sniper wars. I love having somebody on the opposite end of the map and we are fighting each other. You know, we're trying to keep the other person down. That, that's what you're doing. I, I love doing that. But yeah, like it, it will increase the skill level needed. Like you will have to. You know, people will focus less on body shots and more on headshots, which it is difficult in this game to get a headshot because of how the heads are proportioned to people's bodies. Mm. Like in Team Fortress, every character actually has a pretty big noggin. 
<laughs> I was yes. thinking about it. Yeah. They actually have a pretty big head compared to the rest of their body. I mean, it's not huge, but it's bigger compared to the, to the rest of their body. Not to mention Team Fortress maps are smaller. Like, oh, sorry, are, are, are smaller, so, like, you're closer to the other person anyway. So their whole body appears larger. Yeah. Where in this game, it takes it takes kill to snipe, but people are like, oh, snipers just take the easy kill. Like, bitch, you don't snipe. That's why, you know, you're complaining about it. Like, you don't snipe. You don't know. And there's so many ways to counter her, you know? And people will complain about Bastion, too. It's basically a robot that turns into a turret. Mm-hmm. And it has a shield in front of him. Coming when he's doing that, and if you fight him face to face while he's doing that, you will die. You will die. And even the tanks that pull out shields, you can as Bastion when he's in the siege mode. That's what we call it. I don't know what's actually called in uh, in the game. When he's in the siege mode, he'll break a shield like it's nothing without hmm. even having to reload his gun. But there's other characters that will counter that, and Blizzard made sure. That they have characters to counter other characters. I didn't figure out the counter to Bastion until I was Bastion and somebody killed me. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was but, like, okay. That's the that's the whole point of the gameplay. That's why all the heroes are available is that they want you to see like, okay, so whatever composition is being thrown at me, okay, we have to look at our composition, you know, make some changes. People can switch out in the middle of the game, you know, change characters. Now we have the right people to counter them. And then the other team can see what you just switched to, and then they can react. And, and so it's basically, it, it, it's kind of the chaos of controlling who you are and who you need to be. And when you're making those changes and then how you use all those characters, because yeah, that it, it sounds, it sounds chaotic, but it sounds like a fun kind of chaotic. It is. I think you, I know you, your shooters aren't your jam, but I think you'd enjoy it. Well, I'm didn't, I mean, I guess I, I, I mean, I've, I'm enjoying Heroes of the Storm enough that I'm, I'm still playing it for now. So I mean, that's normally I don't enjoy MOBAs. I know Heroes of the Storm is like MOBA light. Well, that, so. that, that's everybody who plays like the boring MOBAs, like League and Dota. They fucking hate Heroes because it, it's not, you know, it's different. <laughs> it's different and it's fun. In my opinion, that's why they don't like it. They don't like fun. Well, we we, ha- I, we had a match last night. I was playing ETC, and for the first 20 minutes of the match, my team was disorganized, no order to it. We were getting our ass kicked. Our core was down to 22%. And then I'm not sure what happened. I think it just worked out that we all just, like, all individually decided at the same time, let's just go into the middle. And I think uh, there were the two the angel and the demon that were fighting in the middle. Let's just go there, get our demon free. And then we're just going to storm their core. And we won. I still don't know how that happened, (laughs) but that I know that uh, one of the complaints like in, in league and and Dota is like snowballing will happen. Like kind of once you fall behind, like you're just, that's it. Yeah. I was thinking even around like the 15 minute mark, I was like, this is just pointless. I should just quit. I was like, stick it out. Just stick it out. And, like, we were all sitting there, like, just messaging each other after, like, how did we do that? That should not have happened. <laughs> but, so, yeah, I, I could see that Blizzard, like, you know, it felt it felt a little bit like Mario Kart when you're, like, an eighth, and then you get those little, like, little boosts to kind of give you a, you know, to let you win at the end there. Um, but I don't think, like, Blizzard actually has systems in place to allow for that. I think we just use the natural systems in the game that, that defeat is never as imminent as it seems. And, yeah, I think they... They, when Blizzard wants to make a competitive, balanced game, they can do that. 
at least you know for something short-term competitive like 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 a heroes like an overwatch um balancing something like warcraft that takes years yeah like blizzard is good at balancing games and i think that's why uh they're doing such a good job with overwatch uh, if you haven't gotten overwatch beta yet i'm sorry but it is a great game and the $40 they're asking for for me like i mean unless we get a review copy I'm buying it. Like, it's, you know, I, I'm definitely, I'm in. I am in. <laughs> they, they got me so far. But uh, let's get into our news bites, because that's, <laughs> that was totally unplanned. Like, I was not expecting to talk about that. But, you know, I guess I'm having such a good time with the game, you know? But uh, let's see, news bites. PlayStation 2 emulation coming to PS4, Sony confirms. Uh, I think somebody actually found this out by accident because they got a special edition of the PS4, the Star Wars one, correct, Nick? Yes. And it the games it came with some PS2 games that were not ported. The PS2 games were actually uh, they were emulated. Yes. And I know a lot of people made a big deal of these, you know, Sony sneaking PS2 emulation in. But to be honest with you, I think the reason they really didn't say anything about it is because they didn't have they don't have any definite plans to bring full scale PS2 emulation in. No, it's and it's a little deceptive for them to say like PlayStation 2 emulation because it sounds like it's like, oh great, I can just take my discs that I already own and just pop them right in the PlayStation and they'll run. It seems more like what they're doing is they're implementing this almost on like a per game basis. Like they've they've got the emulator applied. Um, and then it just comes along with whatever games that they need, like in this case being the Star Wars games that were there. Um, and they'll definitely, they'll definitely use this again. It would be, you know, I mean, if you've got the technology, you have the library of games to rely on. Yeah, but it seems that the way they're doing it, it's going to be in a way that you'll have to pay for all your games again because money. Right. Yeah. There's been definitely been no talk of bringing uh, the disc-based games, like making the disc-based games available for emulation. I wouldn't get too excited about this. Actually, I'll be honest with you, I don't know too many people that would. PS3, maybe a different story. Like, I would love them to bring, bring PS3 emulation to the PS4 simply yes. because I have several PS3 games that I would like to finish, you know? But other than that, I don't know too many people who'd be excited about it. I don't think they really snuck this under the rug. I just don't think they have any plans to really do much with it. No. So, that's the only news bite we had. It felt like kind of Actually, a slow... Can, can I jump in on a related news bite? Oh, sure, no problem. Um, this, this is just kind of an breaking. opinion question. Completely <laughs> off the cuff. Um, Best Buy is selling the PSTV for 20 bucks this week. I'm wondering if it's worth getting. I was thinking about this only because you talked about, like, if they had PS3 compatibility, but the, the PSTV, I guess you can use that to stream your PlayStation 4 to another TV. Something like, oh, I got my Destiny on my PS4 upstairs. I could play that on my TV downstairs. That might be good. Is that worth $20? I didn't know that. I think I might pick one up. See, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Like, cause you can't, Is that part of PlayStation TV? I can't remember. Where you can stream your PS4? I think it is. I know you can stream... Um, What's it called? Not PlayStation Plus, but PlayStation Now. I know you can do that. Yeah. But can you do the rest? You know, you could probably also stream your PS4 services like Hulu Plus and stuff like that. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Like, if, if you can stream PS4 games, I'm going to look into it. Yeah, uh, Remote Play. Stream most of your PS4 games from your PS4 system to your PlayStation TV over local Wi-Fi. Oh, it has to have Remote Play, though? Yeah, I guess. Okay, so Destiny you could do it for. Okay. Destiny, you can definitely do it for. 
but I don't know how many other games allow for remote play on the PS4. Because remote play was really built for with the Vita in mind. Yeah. Remember that. And you need to see how Sony has treated the Vita. Well, I think that's the thing is basically the PS TV is kind of like a Vita except without the screen because the screen is your TV. Uh, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how many people are actually going to support that. But it's a good, I don't know, for 20 bucks, I might get it anyway. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, 20 bucks if it sucks, it's not that big a loss. Definitely not. Okay. Thanks for the update, Nick. Didn't know. <laughs> okay, so let's get into our articles. First and foremost, let's talk about Steam sales because they're changing. And when I first read the title, I was like, oh, no, free ride's over. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for what we've been waiting for the four to come out. And this is it. It's over, guys. It's been a good run. No, 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 no. So what's going to happen with Steam sales? Instead of having flash deals like, you know, the the flash deals where you have, what's the word I'm looking for? We have, uh, you know, eight hours to buy a game. Or the flash deals, we only have 24 hours to buy a game. That's all going away. That is all going away. And now the games will be the lowest price from the time of the start time of the sale to the end time of the sale. There will be no varying price. There's no, okay, well, Shadow of the Mordor is 50% off today. I'm going to wait and see if it's, you know, 70% off later on the sale. And then it's not, so it's like, oh, well, it's only 30% off. I be- I gambled and I gambled wrong. Let me pay it for 30% off. That's not going to happen anymore. The sales will be the lowest price every day until the end of the sale. Uh, the publishers or developers will have front page uh, visibility from 24 hours to 48 hours during the sale. So their, their, their games may be on the front page for up to two days, but other than that, it's going to rotate, but no, the, there will be no... It will be the lowest possible price during the entire sale. Now, Valve did say, you know, for a brand new release, if you can't get approval for your best discount for the full length of the sale, that's okay. We can work on a plan for that game. But the vast majority of your catalog should be running its best discount for the duration of the sale. That's that's great for gamers. I mean, yes. this is definitely... This is wonderful for gamers. Yes. This is the, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, basically, like, you just go on there, you check, you look immediately for the games you want to see, you'll get the exact price that you, you, you'll know exactly whether you're willing to buy, buy that game or not, and you'll get the best savings you can. It's beautiful. I have no argument with that. Yeah, this is great for us. One thing, I, I just, I mean, I think me and Nick both agree that this is not the best thing for developers, though. Nope. Because, one, they have to give the lowest price the entire time. But two, I think they're actually going to miss out on a lot of sales because there's no pressure to buy. Exactly. There's no pressure to buy. You know, people are going to be like, oh, well, I'll pick it up later. And then they're going to forget. Not, not even that there's no pressure to buy. But one of the things about the Steam sale was like, it felt like a daily event for like a full week or, or two weeks, however long it was. Like every day at one o'clock. I'm jumping on Steam, like, oh, the Steam sales refresh themselves. Let me see what's available now. And so especially if I'm only looking for, like, one or two games, every day I'm going in there and I'm seeing whatever that day's featured games are. So maybe, for example, I think I was looking for Shadowrun the one year, and all of a sudden I saw that VVVVV was 99 cents. Well, I picked up VVVVV for 99 cents because, hell yeah, why not, even though the Shadowrun game wasn't on sale. Now, 
the way the system is now, like, you know, if that's, let's say that's to happen on the fourth day of the sale. But if I go in the first day and check, if I go in the first day and I check what games are on sale, I'm just going to look for the Shadowrun game. Maybe I'll see the VVV game and buy it, but maybe I won't. And I won't come back on the fourth day when it would, you know, VVVV would have been like featured prominently and I'll miss that completely because I don't, I guess really to see everything, you have to go digging through all the sales. I'm sure it'll all be there. I'm sure it'll, it'll be accessible, but the games, when they get featured, they get that significant bump. And I think too, like one of the things is like you said, that whole, the pressure to buy, like, you know, I have to make this decision now. This game's only going to be on sale for the next eight hours. If I don't buy it at this price now, I may lose out on that. Like that's a huge weight. And yeah, it, 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 I feel like the way the steam sale was designed before it was designed to like psychologically get you to buy. And I like, from a from a consumer perspective, I love that Valve is removing those those pressures because I don't need to buy games. I don't need to add to my backlog. You know, I know what games I specifically want. I don't. I know what I don't necessarily need, and I know what money I should and shouldn't be spending. Um, you know, any any if any pressure that can be relieved is great for my wallet. But from a developer perspective. Why would you take that pressure off the consumer? You've got them right where you want them. You've got them. You've got them paying tons of money for games, admittedly cheap games, but you've got them paying tons of money for games enough that people always complain about the effect that a Steam sale has on their wallet. That that you know, why would you do anything that's going to reduce that? Why would you do anything that's going to make a Steam sale sell less? I mean, it's possible that maybe people will come in. What, 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 I could, what I could see happening is within the first few days of this new model, the Steam sale will sell more than it would have in the first few days of the old model. But by the end of the Steam sale, I can't imagine anybody's going to be going in there because if you're looking at it on day, you know, on the seventh day of the sale, you're not seeing anything different than you saw on the first day. So what now all of a sudden you're like, yeah, maybe I'll buy a few games. I mean, it, that, that time sensitive pressure applies in that point, but when you have a narrower window, especially when you know, not, not only do you know like, oh, I got to buy this game now because in the next eight hours it's going to go off sale, but other stuff's going to be going on sale. It's much, it feels like much more of an event. Now it's just, it's just a week long sale. It's not the same. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the fact you you won't have to go there and check every day like you used to. And there, there were factors that compounded onto how much you bought in a Steam sale. Because before it was, well, now I need to check the the, dale, the the sales daily. And you just don't have to do that anymore. And then if you were into trading cards, like I was into the cards, but it wasn't like a primary objective for me for to get the cards. But it's a nice little game to play. So it's like you go there every day and you are like, oh, well, I need to spend $10 today so I can get a new card or get credit for this metagame or that metagame. And I'm pretty sure they're still going to have that, but it's just not going to be as important to, or not, I should say not as important because it was never important to do. It was a way to get you to buy more stuff, but now it's not going to be a factor because you're not going to be visiting every day. Mm -hmm. you, you won't need to visit every day. Like, you know, during Steam sales, I usually will spend about $10 a day at least so I can get the cards and I can get the credit and stuff like that. And you don't get anything for it except, you know, maybe decorations for your Steam page. And it's not like I was just buying garbage that I didn't want. I, I bought tons of games that I was like, oh, well, yeah, I'll get that sometime. And then they show up on the front page. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll buy that game for $5. I'll buy a game for $15. But I don't see that happening now because you're going to go for the first few days 
I mean, maybe maybe now you'll go every two days because that's when they're swapping out the front page. But well, I think I, I think I, you're right. I get the impression that it'll probably be the same thing where you'll have like your your primary featured games for 24 hours, and then after 24 hours they move down to like a secondary tier. Like they're still technically featured, but it it it, it drops a bit. So like I think every day it'll change, but there'll be like two tiers of featured like there were before. Right. Now, I'm curious to see how it goes. I mean, from a consumer standpoint, I'm not gonna complain this is great for consumers great for us yeah but i do think for developers it is not going to be that great for valve it's not that great like that's why i can't understand why they're doing this because like like you like money right (laughs) (laughs) well no you can't ask Valve that question because if i know if valve was just about making money half-life 3 would already be out it would be a priority to get that out. Half-Life 3, Left 4 Dead 3, Portal 3, they can make money off of these games. You know, then they are just kind of like, nah, we want to march to the beat of our own drum. You, you can't, Nobody knows what's going on at Valve. I don't think Val- Valve doesn't know what's going on at Valve. They're all just like, they, I think they all just go into work and just do whatever the fuck they want. All that day, <laughs> like maybe maybe something comes out of it. Maybe changes are made to Steam. Maybe they just play Dota all day. I don't know. Yeah, they it's got- like kind of like what do you guys want to do today? I don't know. I'm really not feeling it. Nah, you know, I get it. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, it feels like. You know, but they they constantly Valve is for the people. I cannot deny them that Valve is for the people. This is definitely a great move for the people. It doesn't seem like a good move for them. So it's kind of like I don't I don't know, dude. I really don't. It'll be interesting to see once the sales numbers come back on this Steam sale, whether, because I guess it's the next two Steam sales are confirmed that they're going to do this. Autumn It'll be interesting to see whether the winter, they yeah. change their model in sales going forward or if this is actually the way things are going to stay. Good point. We'll see. We shall see. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which actually kind of came kind of late to me this week. An article from The Atlantic saying how nostalgia is ruining video games. So immediately, they're wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> immediately, you know they're wrong. But it, you know, I'm like, okay, fine. Let's, let's dig in. Let's see what this person has to say. They're saying that nostalgia is ruining, ruining video games because people want to feel the nostalgia of their childhood, and that's why they're not playing new games, and new games are hard to get off the ground, so developers and publishers keep making these retro games and games from the same series to get people to buy them because that's what people want because they want to relive their childhood. They want to have those same memories of them putting a cartridge in and bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. That's what this article is talking about and it really leads me to believe what well, i believe but think like who like like the person who wrote this article do you even play video games like how into video games are you are you just that person who plays angry birds on your phone or what crank candy crush and then whenever you see a mario game oh i love mario <laughs> you know is that are you that type of gamer or are you somebody who's actually are you an actual gamer who knows what's going on in the industry you know what's going on with dlc you know what's going on with patching you know what's going on with bugs because it doesn't seem like that he doesn't mention any of the reasons any of the real reasons right now why some games struggle 
to come or you know to 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 work at to work out for publishers or why publishers are reluctant for new IPs. He doesn't really talk about any of that. All the examples he used for new IPs that I don't want to say failed but didn't do that well, he chose games that sucked. You know, well, I, I shouldn't say the Order eighteen eighty six sucked, but it wasn't no, you, that great. You can say game. that. You can say that. Okay, fine. Thanks. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> when the games industry public defender says a game sucks, well, <laughs> the game it, sucks. <laughs> well, no, it, it 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 should it it should be more than ten hours for sixty dollars. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's games coming out now that that probably have twenty dollars of content that are being sold for sixty dollars, but there's no. It's it's he he kind of hits on the point that nostalgia affects everything because he references the fact that there's rock bands doing farewell tours. He references about all the TV shows that are making comebacks nowadays. Uh, and he talks about, you know, how Star Wars coming back, probably the biggest nostalgia trip of them all. But then he also points out that people are tired of nostalgic movies. And then he points out a bunch of movies that were terrible, like the latest Spider-Man movie, and especially the latest Fantastic Four movie or the latest Terminator movie that... Uh, that 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 people apparently crave nostalgic media, but they're also tired of it. Like that argument alone, and that doesn't even apply to the video game aspect of the article. But that argument alone doesn't make any sense. Like, which is it? Because, like, I I firmly believe, and I think this is this is a problem for starters that has been going on for a while. We've talked about this before. It's that it's it's ha- it's difficult to establish a new IP. That, that's not a nostalgia issue. I mean. Fundamentally, the, the reason may be nostalgia, but even then, like, you know, like he talks about Call of Duty and how their sales have been flagging lately. Call of Duty's only been around for 10 years or 11 years. Like, are we already counting like nostalgia in that? And that even assumes that you can be nostalgic for the first Call of Duty, given how Black Ops 3 is vastly different from the original Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. Call of Duty completely changed. Call of Duty 4 changed the game. Yes. 100%. Yes. So yeah, go go ahead. Yeah. No, no. So there's, I, I mean, it, it's the issue. I don't think is nostalgia as much as just like franchise and sequelitis, and that doesn't just apply to movies or doesn't just apply to games. It applies to movies. It applies to to, to TV. It applies to like you know, I guess nobody reads books, so it doesn't apply to books. But there's, I think there's a problem in with the entertainment industry in general is that. There's a certain, I think it, it, it's, this one, this is not a problem, that's, this is new. This has been going on for years. Uh, we've seen AAA, you know, developers struggling to get new IP out because it costs so much money to make a game, they're not going to take risks. If you're going to have to invest, you know, millions and millions of dollars in making a game, you're going to want to make sure that it's a game and specifically a property that you know will sell. So if you've got some kind of new IP, you know, look at Destiny. I mean, that that's a new IP and Activision had to throw $500 million behind it for over the course of 10 years That's to make sure that that would be successful. And they're still be, screwing it up. To be fair, though, when it comes to Activision, they have a formula that they know worked for Call of Duty. And I think they just try to emulate that formula now, even though it's ridiculous, is they threw a massive amount of money at marketing. But that, massive amounts of money at marketing. But that formula is part of the problem that we're talking about here. Because what was that formula for Call of Duty? Is market the hell out of the new game every year. And that's basically what their plan is for Destiny, is market the hell out of a new, if not a whole new version of Destiny, at least a new expansion every year that you can get behind. I mean, you know, we had, what, Destiny, then we had the Taken King, and I guess we'll get whatever the hell Destiny 2.0 is next year. So it's this yearly, it's, the problem is that developers want this recurring revenue model that doesn't work for 
I don't. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't work because it has worked. I mean, Call of Duty and Madden still rake in money hand over fist. So it's it's that that's the problem is that's become the gold standard is if we can get an IP and then we can just ring it out every year. I mean, there's a new Star Wars movie basically every year going forward for the next decade at least. There's you know the Marvel movies are, are gonna you know there's always gonna be a Marvel movie playing in the cinema at this point. It's that any entertainment franchise that we can get our hands on. And it just happens to be that a lot of these franchises are old. They have, they're old enough that they have nostalgia. I mean, freaking what freaking tomb Raider is what? 20 years old, right? Yeah. Like when, 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 when that is old, when, when something like tomb Raider, I mean, that, to, you know, this show, this belies my age. If I like, no, I consider tomb Raider to still be fairly recent, even though that's four console generations ago. Yeah. <laughs> but when that can be, when you can have nostalgia for something of that age, you know, that it's, it, it's, it's not, this isn't unique to games. This isn't unique to games. I think, I think one of the problems too, is that you have a lot of people now who like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of gamer this guy is. I don't know if he's a casual gamer or not. Um, he is, but go ahead. Well, he is, but, but, but like, I would be willing to bet, like he grew up playing the Mario games. Like he's familiar with the Mario games. And so like when he sees like, you know, what the, what was the latest super Mario brothers game that came out? Honestly, 3d or 2d? Uh, the one on the Wii U, the one where they were in cat suits. They're in cat suits. Yeah. They had the little like cat suit jumpers or whatever they were running around the I can't even remember that I can't, game. I honestly can't remember. Yeah, whatever that game was. Like, when he sees that there's still a new Super Mario Brothers game coming out, like, that harkens back, even though the gameplay is vastly different again, like we said with Call of Duty, but that's still the same franchise that harkens back to his days playing as a kid. And it's that's all that is. Is like, I think there's a lot of people now, I mean, what, the average age of the gamer is, is 37 at this point? Yeah. So there's a lot of people who grew up playing Mario Brothers, playing those old kind of games, and that's where nostalgia is for them. And when, you know, in like 20 years from now, nobody's going to care as much. Well, I mean, because only because of persistence, like I'm sure Mario will still be around. I'm sure like, you know, the Nintendo properties will still be around. Uh, Call of Duty might still be around. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, you'll have people nostalgic for completely different things in 20 years than you do now. And I think that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. I don't. Like I, I like I don't know what exactly the problem in all of this is here. It's like nostalgia is always a major thing. It's always going to be encouraging developers to sell. Really, the problem is that it costs too much to make a AAA game, and all your innovation is in indie games, and that's the part that he misses. And if anything, that's what I would consider to be the real retro gaming. Like I don't consider if you're playing the latest Mario Brothers, that's not retro gaming. It's not really even nostalgia-based gaming. I mean, maybe a little bit, but to me like retro gaming is like if you're playing like a game with like 16 bit graphics if you're playing like an old school rpg like an old school style rpg that's modern something that came out like that to me is like retro gaming like that's and that's like the heart of indie gaming and that's where all the innovation is and that's the big part that he missed on this i don't know everything as you said had a lot to do with the publishers and the the developers like that i think the part he's missing is why gamers want games to be like they they long for games to be the way they were before and that doesn't necessarily mean that they want games in 16-bit or they want the exactly the same exact franchises the reason why gamers when a new mario comes out or a new zelda comes out even a donkey kong super smash brothers anytime any of those news any of those new games come out people are clamoring for it it's because there is quality behind the brand. It's the same reason why, 
you know, some people, they love Whirlpool appliances or they only go with certain types of computer parts because they recognize the brand, the brand has been good to them, the brand works. And it's the same thing with, you know, whenever they put out a Mario game, even if it's going to be different, you know it's going to be good. Nintendo's not going to eke out a Mario game that sucks. Same, same thing with, with the Zeldas or even like a Metal Gear. You know, even though this Metal Gear wasn't the best Metal Gear in the franchise, Metal Gear Solid Five, it still is a great game. And if it wasn't for a few things in the game, it would actually be game of the year, in my opinion. You know? But this thing, like, it's not because they just want the old feeling that they had. It's just there's a, a definite difference between the game, the way games used to be made and the way that the games are made now. Video games before were made to be games. They were made to be engaging, challenging, fun. Now, to get a, a game greenlit from a major publisher or a, as a big developer, the game has you have to you have to lay out what how this game is going to make money. That's what the game is about making money now. The game is about making dollars. Okay, things that we we, we didn't have to you worry about a bunch of these things that we have to worry about now. The old games didn't have dlc you got the full game and that included different costumes you know uh, skin change and stuff like that the games weren't chopped apart the games didn't treat people like they were idiots you learned through playing the game that doesn't happen now and on top of that now games they're built for the lowest common denominator that's why call of duty games are not challenging so one of some of my greatest not some a few of my greatest gaming experiences came from the original Call of Duty games. Call of Duty 1 and Call of Duty 2 had some intense moments that you'll never get in new Call of Duties. New Call of Duties try to produce these manufactured intense or epic moments, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work versus Call of Duty 1 and Call of Duty 2 fighting your way into Germany up a hill, like going through these uh, amazing battles that these soldiers went through back then. I mean, Call of Duty, it's going to sound a little silly, but Call of Duty 1 made me realize I'd never be a good soldier. (laughs) (laughs) I could never do what these people did. Because, you know, you're going through high school and you you, you hear about this this shit in in history class. And don't get me wrong, I mean, obviously Call of Duty is not an exact representation of it or even maybe even the best representation of fighting those wars, but just going through those levels and seeing the things in the game that they had to deal with and the odds they had to come across made me realize I could never be a, I could never do what these guys did back then. But don't you think, though, that maybe you didn't enjoy that as much because that wasn't nostalgia for you, that maybe if you had actually lived through World War II originally and you were playing that again, you'd get nostalgic for that time? I'm going to need you to be quiet for five minutes, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like, you, you know, you don't really get that anymore. Everything is manufactured. All games are made now to make you feel good, make you feel like you're better than you actually are, make you feel powerful. Destiny is built around that entire mindset. That's why the Crucible sucks. You know, you'll play it for a little while and it's fun, but after a while, you realize skill doesn't actually matter. You're either okay, like you, if you suck really bad, you suck really bad, and that's it. But if you just get over that, I suck really bad hump in Destiny, 
you are will be, you will be on par with everybody else. You know, so games are are really made to just make you feel like you're a fucking beast, and they there is no sense of accomplishment with it. There's no challenge that you had to overcome, and once you overcome, it's like, oh man, that who that was tough, but that was good. You know, that was, in order to do that in Destiny, me like me and Sage had a couple moments like that, but that's because we went into a, certain areas like under level, and we still pulled out the victory. And that was like, man, that was tough, but that was good. But other things with old games that you don't have to worry about. You know, when I buy a new game now, I have to buy it. That's that's not necessarily a problem buying it. But, um, you know, you buy it, you bring it home, you wait for it to install. Then you wait for it to install the updates. Depending on the game, you have to wait for it to, uh, you not wait for it, but you have to install both or sign into whatever system they want you to sign into and sign up for this account, sign this EULA, all this shit. You have to do all that. And then on top of that, the game still may be broken. And you need to have to you have to wait for another patch. You we did not have to worry about that with old games because old games came out working. If the game was broken, you took the cartridge back to the store and got a new one. Yes, that is exactly what you used to do. You know, we didn't have used to have DLC or add-ons or expansions sold to us before the game was even out. You know, it's and, and the thing is with all these things surrounding new video games or surrounding video games now, of course it's going to be harder to trust new franchises that you have no basis in. Because you 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 know you can't trust the developers, you can't trust the marketing. You know, it, it's tough to say. You know, I didn't even I I never played. The Order 1886. Watching a video or two that I did watch, it didn't look that great. But that my perception could have totally changed by actually playing the game. Actually getting your hands on the game and changing it and playing it changes your perception. Like It just happened with Overwatch to me. The reason I originally wanted Overwatch was because I listened to a podcast about Overwatch and I was pretty disgusted with the podcast because they didn't know anything about shooters. That actually... Gave me some interest in Overwatch. I watched some gameplay. I'm like, eh, it looks all right. Then when I actually played Overwatch, I'm like, yeah, this game is fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it totally, playing the game changes your perspective, and you're really not going to, you don't have a chance to do that unless you plop down 60 bucks. That's a, that's a pretty big investment for something. You might buy that game, take it home, and then you, you play it like an hour of it. It sucks, you know? I did that with Halo Reach. I, I bought Halo Reach. I played an hour of Halo Reach. And I'm like, this game is so boring. And I actually ended up taking it back. I, I lost half the money that I spent on it because I, I, I traded it in not long after I bought it. But that's why new new franchises can't take off because the, the, the consumer confidence is broken. This is the problem with new franchises or it's a problem with the gaming industry. Consumer confidence is broken which in a lot of industries would actually destroy it. But because of the way gaming works, it's a hobby for a lot of people. It's a hobby for a lot of people, and people love playing games. So they'll continue to buy stuff inside the industry, but like things that they know. That's not, only, not, not only that, but people are easily manipulated by hype. And I mean, how, how many times did, did, uh, did Ubisoft need to screw up Assassin's Creed before people were like, you know what, maybe we should stop buying that. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You know what will fix this problem? 
a good Assassin's Creed? <laughs> yes. Um, they should take my idea that I gave them from a few a few games ago and go futuristic, but I'll talk to Eves later about that this week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, demos. I don't understand why they don't release game demos. You know what game I really wasn't interested in until I played the demo? Batman Arkham Asylum. I was not interested in the least in a Batman game. And I had good reason. Batman games sucked. Superhero games sucked. So I, I, Batman, well, I remember I, I, people were saying, hey, you're going to get that new Batman game. I'm like, nah, nah. It was not even a maybe. It was a nah. And then they had the demo. So I played the demo. Demo was good. I was like, oh, okay. And so I actually went and bought the game. And when I bought the game, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it had obviously the problems with the boss fights, but that it wasn't a game. It wasn't a showstopper for me. Dem- they need to make demos for games now. They need to have a team, maybe the team <laughs> that's working on the DLC, like shit, have them work on a demo for the game to get people interested in it. A lot of games, the beta is the demo. Um, Rainbow Six Siege is doing a beta, open beta, starting the 25th. I'm pretty sure they're labeling it as a stress test, but the game comes out the week after that, or maybe two weeks after that. You can't tell me they're not trying to drum up sales for the game. Look at uh, what just happened with Battlefront. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're drumming up the, a beta right before the game comes out. That's a demo. Exactly. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. They get to do some stress testing, check some things out before the game comes out, make sure, you know, tweak some things well, and also drum up some sales. You can't tell me they're not thinking about that. And I'm totally fine with it. Even that's okay. But for single player games, you need a demo. For multiplayer games, you can do a beta. For single player games, you need a demo. And that's what these companies need to do to to get you know some some confidence in these new games. I know that there at least on the PlayStation Three. I haven't looked lately on the PlayStation Four. I don't know if they're there or not. But there were a few demos that I downloaded on my PlayStation Three and played. I know Binary Domain had a demo that I played for a little bit. Um, uh, Heavy Rain had a demo that I played for a little bit. Like they do still put those out, or at least they did five years ago. So it's it's. But yeah, I mean, some of the bigger games. I think some of the bigger games. I think they just expect. Like, oh, you played the last game in the franchise, so therefore you should know what you're get you're in for. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They really need to get back on that ball. To be honest with you. Now, one more thing I think is a, a problem with new franchises is the game's press. Uh, a big problem that I see is that if a new franchise comes out and the gameplay or the story remotely resembles anything else. The games that the games press will shit on that game. It's more of the same, not really all that different. And then you have the drones that just repeat the same thing across Facebook, across Reddit, you know, whatever social media platforms. Oh, it's more of the same. You do you know how many people I run into that have never played certain games but have an opinion on it? That's pretty much all I do. But see, you're at least reasonable. <laughs> like, the, guy, the, guy, the guy who asked if you if you were missing out by not being nostalgic for world war ii combat is reasonable that's that's dick nick that's dick nick that asked that question you know that's you trying to be edgy <laughs> i don't think edgy is the right one <laughs> 
But yeah, but like that's like, like how many people like that put, don't play certain games and have an opinion on it. Like people say, "Oh, Halo Five is just more of the same. It's not gonna you blah 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 blah." Like, dude. Did you play Halo 5 yet? No, you didn't, because the fucking game didn't come out yet. <laughs> like, come on. But like, wait, 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 wait. Like, like, that completely muddles the point, though, because, like, how could you, like, like, the whole point is if people love nostalgia, then if Halo 5 is more of the same, that should be great. That should be what they want. <laughs> they want more of the same. Yeah. So it's, it's like, what do you want here? Do you want something to be exactly the way it was, or do you want, like, a new experience? Because, like, it, it seems like everybody wants both and neither at the same time. You know what my one of my problems I've always had is what's wrong with more of the same? What if I liked it? Yeah. What if I what if I like the game? Like what's wrong with more of the same? I hate when games innovate to the point where they're not they're not good anymore. You know, yeah. like they they innovate to the point where the game has completely changed. You know, like for example, actually Metal Gear is too Metal Gear Five is actually there's things I love about it and things I don't. I at first I was kind of uh What's the word I'm looking for? I was a little worried about the open world. Because you know, I'm like, well, Metal Gear is really linear. Metal Gear is really linear, and that's a huge part of the game. It's a huge part of the story. Metal Gear is very story-driven. But the open world aspect that they made for the game was amazing. The problem that they had with the game was the storytelling. And not just the storytelling because of how... Because the game was open world now. Because there were still cutscenes in the game while you're in the open world. That's that's not a problem. They were able to to fix that. And I mean, these game writers, especially the ones that work for Kojima, are excellent. So they could have definitely still made the a Metal Gear esque story or a story in the Metal Gear way and kept it in the open and kept it in the open world. But the way they decided to tell the story was through these tapes. You know, and then some cutscenes. But Big Boss became like a non-factor in the game. And now, the reason why Metal Gear Solid Five has been nixed off of my Game of the Year list is because the second part, well, chapter two of the game, for every new chapter, you get two chapters that are replays that are just harder. Hmm. You know, so they innovated, they innovated in great ways in that game. And then also they innovated some. They innovated out of greatness. You know what I'm saying? Like they innovated a bit too much. It feels like, but and that and that's there's nothing wrong with more of the same. If you if a game comes out, if a game has a part one, right, comes out with a part two, and it's very similar, only has a few changes, and you say, oh, it's just more of the same. You're a fucking snob. You're a gaming snob. <laughs> <laughs> You are. Like, if you it's just more of the same thing. They didn't advance the story all that great. You know, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. Uh, they didn't make all these new features. Why would I buy it if it's the same game? I would just go back and play the other game. Okay, we'll go back and play the other game. You want the new... If you enjoyed the last game, especially if you, especially if you enjoy the story, if you enjoyed the last game, you're gonna, you're gonna probably... You're gonna want more of that, but you're gonna want some new stuff. You're gonna want a new setting... You're going to want uh, maybe some new enemies, a new story to get you from point A to point B. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Stop being a snob. Even even then, though, like, you look back at, like, Super Mario Brothers, you know, like, the, 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 uh, the epitome of nostalgia gaming. And, like, what was the story there? Like, okay, like, Bowser kidnapped the princess. She's not in this castle. Like, that's not much. Like, <laughs> d- like I mean... And even then, like, 
like all I would want out of something like that, like as far as it being more the same, I would want like the same type of mechanics, but just like new levels. I mean, fundamentally, like Mario Maker. I guess that's actually the most recent Super Mario Brothers game, Super Mario Maker. That is, um, yeah. Like that. That's fundamentally like the ultimate sequel to Super Mario Brothers, and the entire franchise really is like now you can make whatever the heck level you want. <laughs> You know, like, do you want more of the same? You can make more of the same. Do you want to change it up? You can change it up however that system allows you to. And, like, that's, like, like, because I feel like there's a difference between nostalgia being like, I want to replicate an experience that I had 20 years ago. And, I guess, wanting to see, like, more of a franchise. Like, where does the story go? Because, like, when I'm going to, like, and I, and I guess maybe they can kind of be the same thing. Like, again, going back to the Star Wars movie, like, I want to feel like I did watching the first Star Wars, you know, when I saw that as a kid, but at the same time, I want to see what happens. Like, so it has to be the same but different. That's the difficulty for this, is, like, how do you iterate but keep it feeling similar? And, yeah, I guess, you know, but that's, that's the struggle that all writers face. That's the struggle that occurs to all media. Like, how do you, you know, how, how do you not, how, how do you improve on a successful formula without ruining it? And yeah, it's, I don't think there's a solid answer for that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but nostalgia is not ruining video games. The fact that the publishers and developers have broken consumer trust is ruining video games. Yes. That is is the problem. Don't blame it on nostalgia. People are only nostalgic because the current situation... I'm not... Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is the end of the world. This is the end of the gaming industry. The Syrian refugees are going to kill gaming. Like, I'm not saying any anything like that. It's, it's, it's just... New IPs would not have such a difficult time if the consumer trust wasn't broken. If these game publishers were not trying to squeeze every cent out of my wallet for every game. If they actually put gameplay first, you know, and maybe reined in the budgets a little bit on some of these games, I think that's, I think they'll be, we'd be in a much better place and we would have to, we could stop these fucking conversations about the games industry dying or in danger or, you know, consoles dying. I don't, I don't, we, we can't stop the conversations because the, the place that we're at, the solution is indie game. That's where the innovation occurs. That's where, that's where people don't have those budgets and they have the freedom to kind of pursue innovative, you know, different gameplay to take ideas that are old and, you know, remix them into something new. And the problem is that when you have people who don't look at the full market, like this article does, and it only focuses on AAA titles, when you ignore the part of the market where that innovation is, then yeah, you're going to come up with a flawed conclusion. And there's always going to be people who are not looking at the entire picture and are going to complain that the sky is falling because they don't see the pillars that are holding it up. This is very true. But I mean, there's, you're right. Like indie games are where the innovation is. And we've seen some people capitalize now, like Devolver Digital. They mm-hmm. focus pretty much solely on indie, de- on indie development. And I'm pretty sure they're doing very well. Mm-hmm. You know, well, no, I'm obviously not at Activision, but still, I mean, when you got games like Hotline Miami under your belt and, you know, some of this other stuff, like, I mean, there's so many great games that I've seen come, you know, when I'm turning them on, I see Devolver Digital on the, on, on the, on the front screen as I'm turning the game on. Like that, that is actually a seal of quality to me now. 
the Devolver digital symbol. <laughs> we need to Photoshop their logo into the Nintendo seal of quality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, this writer of this article, I just don't know what level of gamer he is. Like, you well, know. He, he does talk about playing Life is Strange, so I mean, that, that doesn't feel like somebody swapped that into his PlayStation instead of Call of Duty when he wasn't looking. That's true. And that's like, you can be a gamer. You can be a gamer and just not really into what's happening in gaming. I get that. You could be the type of guys like, oh, I see this game, I like that. You could be, I like this game too. And they play it, but, you know, not every gamer is actually paying attention to what's happening in gaming and affecting us, you know. So for me to call him a casual, eh, that was probably mean of me. But then again, <laughs> you've never seen me play a multiplayer game. <laughs> so that was that, that that this wasn't that bad. But you know, the, he may just be the type that may not necessarily understand what's happening. He's just taking what he understands about games right now and is looking at that. But maybe he shouldn't be writing articles about it for the Atlantic either. Well, well, to to, to be fair, this is more news. I'm assuming that readers of the Atlantic will get about gaming than they've gotten in the past three years. So that's, great. I mean, the, the fact that it's even on their radar at this point is, is, is even if it's somewhat, um, if it's somewhat limited of a perspective, it's still more than they would have seen before. That's what gaming's going mainstream again, man. This is the third wave, third <laughs> wave mainstream. Was it Call, Call of Duty sold more than whatever movie came out recently? Yeah. Hooray. Yeah. It's raiding money. Well, no, I mean, for mainstream gaming, we had, you know, it's happening in waves. The, the first mainstream era is when I would say the PlayStation came out. That's when games really started going mainstream. Okay. Then I think you, with the Xbox 360, that's the second wave of mainstreaming. Xbox 360 plus Call of Duty 4. Everybody had it. That, that is what got Xbox 360s into people's homes. That is also the reason why Netflix got as big, turned into the huge monster they did with streaming. Because these people had Xbox 360s because of Call of Duty, and then they started using Netflix on it, and now everybody was getting Netflix streaming. You know, And now it's like we're getting into a third wave of pushing it even farther into the mainstream because of eSports. And obviously the amount of money the industry is making. You know? 500, like, you know 2010, $550 million dollars on day one for Black Ops. That's a lot. You know, even $500 million in the first few weeks is a lot of money for a game to make, you know? So here we go, wave three of going mainstream. We've almost made it, guys, but I don't know if it's going to be what we want. <laughs> remember remember what happened to Comic-Con, man? Comic-Con went mainstream. And now it's terrible. And now it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's move on to our next topic, which... Uh, <laughs> It's a little funny. Uh, well, I guess it's not necessarily funny. It's serious for people in the games press. I don't know. I just really don't consider this part of the games press. You know, we 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 can get into why we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, black uh, apparently, Kotaku has been blacklisted by what was it Ubisoft and Bethesda? Yes. And they wrote an article about it. They wrote an article about being blacklisted. Uh, you know, for writing some articles that neither company liked. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> like, what did you think was going to happen? Games journalists, in my opinion, they act like, they act like they're regular journalists 
you know, working for like, I don't want to say CNN because they're, they're not like a bastion of journalism or anything like that, but working in, in spaces like, you know, covering government issues or covering things to help the people, you know, being help, you know, helping, helping to, in, you know, uh, bring insight to the people and stuff like that. Like, no, you are the games press is a section of journalism that really focuses on products. You know, the games press, unlike other news outlets, the games press relies heavily on the publishers or the people that you're actually reporting about to release information. The information is very constrained, and they rely very, very, very heavily on that. There are no, uh, I mean, there, to a degree, there are some public records, like when a publisher or a developer registers a domain or they register a patent or something like that. But for the most part, like most of the information gets trickled from the developers as or the publishers as they see fit. And that's the relationship you, you the games press has to have a relationship with these companies. So when you do something to piss one of the companies off, you know, that is a uh, <laughs> That that's going to lead to problems in the relationship. I mean, sure, you know, with Kotaku, with what they published about, they because they published an article about um, Doom, the troubled development of Doom Four, and then they also published uh, some, um, I guess, published stuff about Assassin's Creed Syndicate at the time. It was codenamed Victory before Ubisoft was ready. So if you do something to piss them off, I mean, you're not in the wrong for doing it, but at the same time, they. Uh, they, if you piss the publisher off or the, the company that you bite the hand that's feeding you, they're going to stop feeding you. Uh, and, th- this article is the system at work. Like, nobody's in the wrong here. <laughs> like, uh, like Ubisoft and Assassin's or uh, Ubisoft and Bethesda have every right when upset with a media outlet, in this case, Kotaku, to try to cut off their access, not give them any information. And Kotaku has every right to openly talk about that um like, like, like it, it's it's fundamentally it's a symbiotic relationship between the two like and really even then i mean i don't know if you could say that the games industry needs the journalism necessarily i mean they're an extension of the marketing arm or at least they can work in tandem with the marketing arm but fundamentally like the the games journalism needs the industry i mean that's what they talk about um and it's they're they're fundamentally in opposition. And when you said that they're not like major news outlets, but they kind of are, because this rem- this this feels to me a lot like how like somebody at CNN might have contacts at like the State Department or something, or how like a sports reporter might have contacts in like the different you know the different divisions of a a, a sports team, and like basically like. You know the, the 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 journalists they have to cultivate sources and the problem I shouldn't say the problem like if they're doing their job they're cultivating sources in in the in the industry who are not in the marketing department they're they're cultivating relationships with developers and and programmers and those people so that they can get them to talk off the record and then once they get them to talk off the record then they can publish whatever they need to without you know crediting a source necessarily but. That's yeah. That's gonna piss off the marketing department because their whole job is to make sure that whenever information goes out, it goes out the way it's supposed to go out, and and they can control the message. And 
it's it's one of those things like maybe Kotaku could have played better with Bethesda. Um, I guess one of the things they did is that they re- they revealed the details, some details about Fallout before before it had been announced. Um, like that's the kind of thing where I guess depending on the relationship, maybe you go to the marketing department and say, "Hey, we've got information on Fallout Four. We'd like to talk about this. Like, can you do you guys want to like at least you know." Give them like a window to make an announcement publicly, or if they're just like no, and if you do that, you're dicks, and then they can decide what to do with the information at that point. But like some of the stuff too, like I mean, like the was it the Destiny piece that they put up a few weeks ago that was amazingly insightful about Destiny's troubled development. Like that was, I feel like that was the most crucial. Well, I take that back. That and I think it was also Kotaku that did the uh, the piece on the uh, Arkham Knight problems and how that whole PC debacle came to be like those two pieces were like the two greatest pieces of like investigative journalism in gaming media that I've read all year. And because those were two things that there were products that severely underdelivered, they were severely short-sighted and it kind of explained how that happened. Because when you put a game in, when you put a game in like Arkham Knight and it doesn't play at all, like you want to know how that happened. Like that should not have been released. And the fact that we have people who are willing to get information like that and run with it and publish it, you know, consequences be damned, then yes, that's a great thing. That's great. And I don't, I don't blame the marketing department for, uh, was it Ubisoft that did that? Uh, well, Arkham Knight. Yeah. No, that's WB games. That's right. That was WB games. Like, I don't like, they're not involved in this, but I wouldn't blame their marketing department for like, well, you're not getting more WB games. Frankly, they're doing you a favor if all their games are going to be that terrible. Yeah. But like it's you know it's 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 one of those things where this is this is the nature of the beast and and you know if you're gonna blacklist somebody and they're gonna know that you blacklisted them that they have every right as the media to go to the to the streets and tell people I mean fundamentally if as a as a consumer if I'm looking at this and and I'm like you know what I think Bethesda is acting unfairly to Kotaku uh, you know they 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 were right to release the information I could make the decision to be like well I don't want to buy Fallout 4 I'm not buying Fallout 4 because I don't have time to play that game it looks like it's an amazing game and I think Kotaku even gave it gave it a great review because it, it it's it's pretty good so at least I, I think that also speaks to Kotaku in that regard that they're willing to review a game sort of independent of the crises that are going on around it. They easily could have, like, you know, shat all over Fallout 4 and been like, well, they didn't give us a review copy, so screw them. But it's, yeah, I mean, it. it I think, by and large, I think everybody's trying to be, you know, I, I think everybody's playing the game as expected here. This isn't, this isn't really anything surprising. And at least, I mean, there's a little bit of, like, spilled milk here, like, with Kotaku being, but he, you know, being like, well, we didn't get a review copy. But even then, like, they get to talk about you know, they, they talk about how they're trying to change the nature of games reviews. Games reviews are one of those things that are so vastly in flux now anyway with streaming and whatnot. I mean, we even we stopped reviewing games on the site the way we used to. We're putting them into podcast form now. So it's I mean, there's a lot of moving pieces here, but fundamentally, I don't think anybody this is like watching a chess match where, you know, the script ahead of time and, you know, somebody moves their queen, somebody moves their bishop. It's just playing out according to script. And then the last step was for Kotaku to publish this report. Maybe, you know, in a few months, Bethesda will take them off their, their blacklist. Maybe they won't, but I don't think, I don't really think this is an issue. This is, this is how the relationship with the press is supposed to work. Yeah. You said that they, they are kind of like the traditional gaming games press. I still think no, because the traditional games press has freedom of the press, freedom of speech, which both deal with government. Like, the government cannot silence you when you say something. 
you know, the government cannot take action against you when you release certain news. But the games, the games industry can to the games press because freedom of speech does not necessarily extend to that aspect. So well, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. No, I just want to say they're not silencing them. They're 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 restricting their access to a pre pre release product, but they're not silenced. Fundamentally, they're, like, they're, if 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 they were going on on the, if they were going to Google and telling them to scrub any instance of that article from the internet, that would be that would be frightening. That would be a form of censure. But in this case, it's it's purely just a relationship thing. They're, they're not they're not saying they're not going to retailers and saying like if Brian Crescente tries to buy a copy of Fallout Four, do not sell it to him. No, but they're still taking action against them by blacklisting them and not giving them any other information based on their games. They're not giving them release. They're not giving them release information. They're probably not going to go to them with press releases and stuff like that. That is taking action against them. It's like if somebody released information about something that happened at the White House, and the White House is like, you can't come to press briefings anymore. That's perfectly within their rights. The, the White House can can deny media credentials to people if they want. They can deny media credentials to specific people, but not to an entire outlet. And you have to have a very good reason to do so. They can just be like, hey, I don't like the way you reported about Obama last week. You personally cannot come. Like, there has to be something. Like, they have to have, like, kind of break, broke on some type of national security uh, mandate or something like that but it's not they can't just be like you can't come here anymore because we don't like that you broke this information well, well i, I they think cannot it, do it, that. i think it actually would play out similarly in that if they did do that and said like we don't want you here for you know x reason that that media outlet that is now blacklisted from the white house could very easily go back to you know and publish an article we're blacklisted from the white house and then boom here's your you know twelve thousand words about why we you know you're not going to be getting like timely news stories about the white house we're going to have to be re-reporting something that somebody else got but that's it's, what i'm saying that's yeah. not gonna that can't happen they can't say new york times you can no longer come to the white house i they can't do that i feel like they could like no I, you I, I feel like they can like, i'm telling you they can't press credential laws <laughs> I'm telling you, they cannot do that. They cannot say New York Times, you just can't come to the White House anymore. So, if, so fundamentally, what's to stop us from like just applying for a White House press pass and then showing up there tomorrow? Because we don't do fucking news. <laughs> what's to stop us from wanting to? You have to be like accredited press to get that. We're not, so accredited, like, it's, it's, we're not accredited like, press. Once, so you're saying like once you establish yourself as accredited press, you can do whatever you want and you're not going to lose that access. To a degree, yes. There are certain rules and regulations that follow. Like, if you release information, like certain information that they can that they can say, this, you release this information, put us as a, that's a national security threat. Then they can do something to individuals. They can do something to the the editor that said, go ahead and publish it, publish it on the paper. The person that wrote it, they can do those things to those individual people, but you will never see the government take action against a, a news, a, a complete news outlet. I'm pretty sure there has been more than one occasion where somebody from the press corps said something or wrote something about some government official and some phone calls were made. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I am more than sure that happened, but you'll never straight up have. You know the White House. Oh no, black them, list them from all information. Like you will not see that. Anything Kotaku gets from now on from Bethesda, Ubisoft is going to be secondhand. They are they're a news outlet. They are in the business of breaking news first and fast, and they have been eliminated from that. Everything they get from for those two publishers specifically, and that that's a me. I think that's a big difference between traditional press and games press. The games press relationship with these companies is more symbiotic. They actually need 
They need each other. Whereas the traditional press is more of the thorn in the side of government, and the people need that because the people need to know what's going on. That's what the, the traditional press has going on for it, even though they've been doing a terrible job at it. It feels, you know, for for you know for a long time now. But with the games press, the the, the relationship is symbiotic, not between the people and you know the press, but between the press. And the games industry, they need each other to survive. The games press to the games industry is a marketing tool. See, but it's not. <laughs> okay. I think that's where the fundamental disagreement is, is that it's not a marketing tool. It's that, and, 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 and it's fundamentally, it's an adversarial relationship. It's, it can be used as a marketing tool. We normally see it used as a marketing tool, but there, there is no way that you can look at that Destiny article or that, uh, that, that Arkham Knight article and tell me that that was a marketing tool. And that was very crucial journalism that was done there. It's, it, it, it's they, they are their own entity, and they need to manage that relationship. Being able to maintain you know, pre-release status is part of managing that relationship. But there's... There's going to come times when you have something you want to publish and you know that that's going to be detrimental to the relationship. So what do you do? And in this case, Kotaku has said that when that happens, we will put publishing, you know, information over maintaining the relationship, which, you know, whether you believe that's the right decision or not, that's kind of a personal call. I think I, th- I think the, the disagreement here we, uh, we're, we're actually having, because I don't think we're disagreeing all that much. No. But the, the disagreement we're having is that with the traditional press corps, right, if the government decided to not give information or release certain information to anybody, okay, the regular press corps would still be powerful. It would still exist because now it's their job to dig and get this information, and they can get this information in a number of different ways, certain informants going through public records. There's like a process they can go through. With yes. the games industry, if the games industry decide, if the, it, the games industry, but the, the, the games press, if the games industry actually decided to not play nice nice with the, with the games press anymore, okay? If they figured that, okay, we got Twitter, we got Facebook, we don't need the games press to, to deliver this information for us, a lot, the, the games press, as it's already dying as it is, it would just be dead because the bulk of information that comes out of the games press isn't the reporting that we saw on the Arkham Knight. It's not what we saw with Destiny. The bulk of the stuff that we see coming out of the games press is trailers, release dates, uh, information based on, you know, information coming from game developers, and then opinion pieces based off of that information. Most, that's what we see most of the time in the games industry. We don't see these hard-hitting articles. The, the hardest-hitting articles you're actually going to see are game press sites that actually focus on the games industry itself. Gamma Sutra, GamesIndustry.biz, but f- between, but from a a uh, consumer to games press situation, like our relationship is not the same as it is with the traditional press, and that's what I'm saying. The games industry is way more uh, the pre- games press, sorry, is way more symbiotic with the games industry than the game than the regular press is with their other uh, the other things that they report about. No, see, and that, I think that's 
No, because that's it's the same thing that when you're in the government, you have a certain message you want to get out and you want to control that message. And so the, your tool for doing that is to go to the press and to influence the press. And so you have to play just as nice with the press as, 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 as you want. I, I think you might be right insofar as the, the traditional press does have a little bit more power that, yes, if the White House did try to blacklist a major media outlet, that would be a huge deal and it would be a black eye for the White House. But there's still it's still a relationship it's still like even like it's inconceivable to me to imagine the games industry saying like we're not going to deal with gaming news outlets anymore not because i couldn't see like the marketing divisions deciding that but because they're the reporters have those relationships with developers that's where they get all the information from that's the digging that they do is that when something happens they know they you know they know which developers that they can call up for a given topic and be like hey man you know i just heard about this what's going on and then you know maybe they give them an, you know maybe they get the permissions from the marketing department or maybe they have a good enough relationship that they can have an on on the record discussion and they can be openly quoted in an article or maybe they're like look you know don't use my name i can't tell you you know you don't know any of this you didn't hear it from me but and then they can you know give them an off the record thing and then you get you know you get more dirt that way um that's that's exactly what like real reporters do for lack of a better term. Um, you know, like when something happens, they call up their contacts in the government. And then depending on the nature of what they're talking about, they either can quote a source or they can't. And it's that relationship that's so critical. It's that relationship that met, that, that started the whole ethics and journalism thing, because it's to maintain those contacts, you ostensibly have to be friends it's, you know, you have to be able to go out drinking with somebody and talk about stuff other than games necessarily. It's, th this is where that whole murky world of journalism kind of comes into play. And it's that, I, I think, if, if, if all the marketing departments said, we're not giving out pre-release copies, we're not, you know, giving interviews and, and whatnot, and they shut it down, I think that developers would still... The, the developers would still be like, oh, you're, you're a cool guy. I like your stuff. Yeah, I'll talk to you. That it wouldn't be so easy to just put up a curtain and, and separate the two. Nah, see, I think uh, I think you think that's happening way more than it actually is. Because I, there are definitely, I mean, shit, I have developer friends that I can get information from if I needed to, you know. And that does happen. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But for the most part, if your company, if you work for Bethesda or you work for Ubisoft and they send out a company-wide email and they're like, you cannot talk to this news outlet or you will lose your job in so many words or less. Like, they're not suggesting that. They're telling you any interaction with these, with news outlets. Like, I mean, shit, look, the place that we work, they send out information like that. You cannot, we cannot talk to the press about what we do. If the press comes to us with anything, we have to you know, send it to X, Y, Z. That's what, 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 you know, what it is. I don't think I can corroborate your statement because to do so would be talking to the press. <laughs> but you know, I mean, that, that's the thing. Like, you know, it, it does happen, but their survival, you know, with the traditional media, their, their survival doesn't depend on it. Whereas the games press, their survival depends on information that comes from those sources. The yeah, sure, yeah, like I said, the the the, the game, the WB, the Arkham Knight article, and the Destiny article, you know, it wouldn't have happened unless the information came from inside sources. But out of all the games that come out, only you know, every year, how many stories of like that can you? can you produce like that that's actually going to generate enough traffic for you to keep your site alive there's not enough 
the vast majority of information that comes from gaming sites are from the the marketing departments. They're from the publisher. They're from the developer. And a lot of other content spurs from that. You can only stream a game if you have permission to stream it. You can only get video of a game if you have permission to take that video. And a lot of the cases, that vi- the videos that we see on sites like IGN or Polygon, the ones that they put there, they proudly put their logo on, come directly from those companies. That relationship is way more important than it is in the in the traditional press. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they have to keep, they have to play ball. You know? I mean, we're talking, I mean, I know you're the games industry public defender and everything. <laughs> and you have to, you know, you gotta, you gotta be on their side and all. I, I really have been doing a shitty job defending things today. <laughs> but at the same time, no, I think you, I think you raised some pretty good points here. I, I applaud. I applaud you, Nick, <laughs> for, for what you did here today. But at the same time, we know these relationships go deep to the fact that, you know, with certain sites, they will give they tell these publishers, we're giving you minimum review scores. We will give you a minimum of a 7 or an 8 based on you giving us access to certain information first. We know these things are happening. And that's not journalism. And that's no, and that that's not journalism. That's when a site, once a site agrees to that kind of, that's when you become part of the marketing department. And that's... And to that degree, like I, I, I it make that the fact that th- you're you're entirely correct. The fact that that goes on, it actually makes me respect Kotaku even more because you're, they could entirely play ball. They could entirely just basically turn the keys to the site over to the marketing departments and let them dictate, you know, basically what what score they're going to give a given game. Um, and any site that doesn't do that, any site that doesn't do that is doing it right because you're not supposed. I mean, you're you're. You're, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to have those kind of agreements it's and it's it's a little bit bullshit that a game company can say like well if you don't if you don't give us a certain review score we're not going to give you early access to the game it's it's very much bullshit they can do that but that's that's the nature of the beast that we're dealing with well yeah like i said freedom of press and freedom of speech does not apply to private companies it doesn't apply that way it, well, it, I don't think this is necessarily freedom of press. It, uh, I don't know that early access to a product qualifies as freedom of press. It doesn't. That's what I just said. You just made my point for me. Thank you, Nick. Well, no, I think, I, I think we're, we're, get, we're very much getting into like a semantical issue, but fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like The relationships are way more symbiotic. And that's a problem. Pro- part of the problem with the, ga- with the games press, and you're right. Part of the problem that started that kicked Gamergate off was, uh, you know, these relationships that we know exist. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. There is no doubt in my mind that Game Informer promised uh, Bungie a a a, 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 a um, base review score for the Taken King, based off of because they were. The, they were they were the ones that received all of that information first about the Taken King, hmm. and it wasn't like that was a real easy thing for Bungie to handle either, because Bungie released like no information regarding the Taken King except the price. They were receiving a shit ton of flack for it, but they still didn't release any of the information that they promised Game Informer. Game Informer probably co- pro- finally comes out with that article. Everything's better, but for that month and a half or maybe two months, that had like you know. 
I know that Bungie wanted to make the relationship between them and the gamers better, but they had already they had already made this agreement with Game Informer. And t- in order for that to happen, Game Informer had to be giving them something pretty special. You know, which was a, a, ba- a base review score. Uh, that, see, th- that doesn't seem like enough. For, for the, what was it, like the six weeks you said that they went through? Yeah. Where everybody was just shitting all over their game? Yeah. That... For them to just be like, oh, but but Game Informer will save us. Like at that point, like it's just one outlet. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just one review score. Like I don't know what else is in that package, but you know, like yeah, just just you know, at, at that point, make the decision to release the info. Like kill that deal. If if you're the if you're the publisher, isn't ostensibly you have the majority of the power in this situation, then you should be able to realize when you're in a bad situation, just be like, yeah, screw it. It's not, this isn't working out for us. And it may, it may be that, you know, there's other conditions and terms that apply to that, that we're not cognizant of, but yeah, that seems a bit backwards. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that that's, uh, I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I said, I don't think Kotaku was in the wrong for what they did, but at the same time, when you do these actions, you got to be prepared for the consequences. I think they were. You know, yeah, that's the thing. And so they just, they just made an article about what happened. And, you yeah. know, they got to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, but, and, but that goes to the same side. When you blacklist somebody, you got to be ready to, you know, you have to be aware. Like, they can go and tell everybody that you blacklisted yeah, but them. But that's like, so who's going to care that Bethesda and Ubisoft blacklisted Kotaku? Apparently we do. No, we're, that's because minutes. we're a fucking podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I don't care that the best thing. Why are we talking off. about this? Well, we, would, would, would you rather just sit here and sit in silence or maybe talk about some Overwatch a bit more? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it was a good it was a good topic to talk about. But like, yeah, I mean, the relationship, I, mean, I think the main point is that the relationship between the games industry and the games press is symbiotic. They yes. need each other. The games press needs the games industry because they need the information. They need something to talk about. And like I said, the, the games press isn't just regurgitating everything that's said, but there's a lot of things that come from, you know, the information. Like, you know, how often do you see like, Ben Kuchera giving his opinion on something he probably shouldn't give his opinion about, but it's based off of information that he got, you know, that, that came out recently. That isn't that officially his job title? With the opinion guy? Yeah, guy who gives... Inf- gives opinions on things I probably shouldn't be giving opinions about, but it's based on information I got from some other guy. I got, <laughs> I got to check the Polygon site out for that. See if that's his official title. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, we see it all the time, and I, it's, it's not the same. And I think the second part is, um, any because you know, you, if you read these forums, or not the forums, sorry, but you read the comments, like you're inevitably finding people who are screaming out about freedom of speech. Please, for the love of God figure out what freedom of speech is actually applied to. You see that all the time. You know, when, like when somebody says something on Reddit and Reddit like blocks it or they take it out. Freedom of speech. Like, dude, that's not what that means. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah. I, I, blacklisting is going to happen. We were blacklisted by Konami for years. <laughs> you and know? look who won that fight. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. We're, we're still here. We're not making pachinko machines. <laughs> I don't like can, can we people. say? Can we claim that Kojima left Konami because he was pissed that Mash Those Buttons was blacklisted? Sure, why not? Yes, <laughs> we can imagine that. Like Konami's <laughs> imagining like Kojima's on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> We're going on vacation with him. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, but I think that's gonna bring us. That'll bring us to the end of our podcast today. Uh, those stuff. We uh, that was a that was a good conversation, Nick. Yeah, that was, that was good. Good little back and forth. Me and Nick haven't played tennis like that in a long time. Yeah, I know. 
Now I'm getting tennis elbow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, you can catch us on iTunes. We are on Overcast for iOS. We are on Stitcher Smart Radio for Android and iOS devices. Uh, we are on SoundCloud. We're on Pocket Cast. We are also on. Let's see, we're on Pocket Cast. What else are we on, Nick? Uh, I can't remember the other one. <laughs> I can't remember the other. I didn't one. have my list up. I didn't know I was going to need it. No, I was like, why can I remember? We're, did you mention o- Overcast? Yeah, I did mention Overcast. We're in a bunch of places, and soon we're going to be on Google Play Podcast. When that's ready to go, we will be one of the first podcasts on there, so you can catch us there too. Did you mention Stitcher? Yes, I mentioned Stitcher. SoundCloud. Yep. I'm sure you got iTunes. Got iTunes. That that's all I got. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh but you can catch us in a bunch of different places. We also have RSS feeds available if you just have some other method that you're using. Uh you can catch us on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash MTB site. Nick, what's your Twitter? At WookieBH. Yes, and my Twitter is at underscore ja underscore. So that's at underscore J A A underscore. We're also on Facebook.com slash smash those buttons and youtube.com slash smash those buttons. And uh if you like to help us out, you know, contribute to the podcast a little bit. We're not really, we're not asking for money. We just need you to help share the podcast. Help, help spread, mash those buttons like a virus. But if you do want to give us money, reach out to us. We'll, we'll arrange something. Oh yeah, we will arrange something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you, uh, in all seriousness, if you guys, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, please share it. Thanks. And if you can rate us on iTunes or any other places that have ratings. We would appreciate that as well. Unless it's a one or a two star, then you don't have to do that. We wouldn't want to put the burden on you guys. <laughs> if you're going to give us a low review, we're not going to give you the podcast early. We're blacklisting users now, Nick? That's what, that's what I think we should do. Well, first of all, I don't think anybody who didn't like the podcast will make it to this point. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll give yeah. you that. But uh, if you have feedback, there's multiple ways to contact us. You can email us. You can hit us on Twitter. You can comment on our site. You can comment on SoundCloud. We definitely take feedback, and we appreciate any feedback you guys can give us. But uh, as always, like I said, thank you for listening, and we will catch you guys next week. Have a great week, and have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes. Get fat. Don't die. <laughs> that should be our new outro every time. <laughs> Get that, don't die. <laughs> All right, guys. See you later.